Luke 1, verses 39 to 56. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfil his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Thanks, Emily. My name's Phil. I'm one of the ministers on staff here, and it's lovely to have you here this evening, especially if uh, this is your first time with us. Um, It was great fun so far. I'm not sure what's left, but it was very, very good fun so far. Um, I enjoyed singing anyway, and no one could hear me, which was even better. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to look at this short passage from Luke's Gospel, Luke's eyewitness, uh, Luke's account of the life of Jesus, his reliable historical account together. Our Father God, we pray that you would help us, whether we're very new to these things or very familiar with them, to grow in our understanding of the truth about you, that we might know who God is and what it means to know him. Amen. Now, Christmas is a fairly predictable time of year. Every year, the same thing happens. I don't know if you've noticed this. Every year, the decorations go up in the shops at the same time, just after the August bank holiday, I think it is. Uh, Every year, the newspapers, one of them will print the story that says, this year will be the coldest winter on record, a new ice age. It is almost always the Daily Express, and it is almost always warm and wet on Christmas Day. This year, they may finally, I mean, if you, you know, if a clock is broken, is at least right twice a day. You know, they may well have got it right this year, it seems, but we'll see. Uh, every year, another in the newspapers prints its annual uh, Vicar Tells Shocked School Children Santa Claus Doesn't Exist story. It is always the Daily Mail. There's no surprise there. It's every year. Uh, every year, some B-list pop celebrities uh, get together and they make a charity re-release of a Christmas special to save the whales um, or the children or given the rising sea levels to save the children from the whales around the sea. But <laughs> it happens every year. Every year, the same thing happens. Every year, we order more and more of our presents online than ever before. Last year, £77 billion was spent on Christmas in the UK. £22 billion of it was spent online, and yet still Amazon didn't make enough money to pay any taxes. Extraordinary. Okay, okay, enough politics. Uh, tonight is contemporary carols, and yet the playlist is the same as it was when this church first opened for carols in 1865. A little bit more drummy and guitar perhaps, but it's the same songs. 
Uh, We're in the church season of Advent, and for those of you who don't speak Anglican, Advent means the time when we await the coming of Jesus. But again, it's no great surprise. Uh, We kind of know that when we get to the 25th of December and we open the final uh, window in the Advent calendar, we know what we'll find. A chocolate figure of Chewbacca probably these days, but behind will be a picture of of a stable. And there'll be uh, Joseph and there'll be Mary looking surprisingly uh, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and some fabulously clean farm animals and the little baby Jesus. We know exactly what to expect. See, Advent, I think it feels like um, adult present buying. I'm sure you've got to the same stage, uh, many of us. Your parents say, what do you want? And you say, you know what, I'll just buy it. I can get it cheaper online. And so you, you choose, you buy, they wrap. And then Christmas Day, there's the charade of uh, you open it. Oh, wow, who knew? Just what I always wanted. It's, you know, um, but, you know, anything that makes present buying easier, I think, you go for, basically. I mean, spare a thought for poor Meghan Markle this year if you think you've got difficulties buying presents. Yeah. <laughs> right about now, it's dawning on her that she's got to buy presents for her fiancé's family. <laughs> Seriously, what does she get her fiancé's grandmother? A box set of suits? I mean, seriously. (laughs) I think she's seen the crown. It's all right. But But the truth is that the true message of Christmas is as unexpected, as surprising, perhaps even as unsettling, as the engagement of Meghan Markle to Prince Harry would have been a 100 years ago. And if you think you know exactly what God is up to at Christmas, if you find it all just washes over you, it may well be that you don't know Christmas and you don't know God quite as well as you think. Get behind the familiarity and actually, it's an odd, it's a surprising time. Advent is the time of waiting, but hang on a second. God is everywhere, always present, and yet we say he's absent and we're waiting for him to arrive. Christmas is the time when we celebrate that uh, God has come to invade a world that has been occupied by forces of decay and selfishness and evil and death. And he chooses to make his bridgehead, his invasion point in, well, not Rome, not even Jerusalem, but in the tummy of a little peasant girl in a nowhere village in the dusty north of Israel. Actually, Nothing is quite expected about Christmas. And I want us to look with fresh eyes at this familiar story. And we'll look at it through Mary's eyes in her song. Uh, we'll look just at the, at the song she sings from 46 to 56. You've got it printed on the sheets. And we'll, uh, I want you to look at the beginning and the end and then focus on the middle bit to see some of the wonderful surprises that are there in this first Christmas. Now the backstory, if you like, to this is the whole message of the Bible which is humanity's rejection of a God who is light and life and love. Now, that is a bad idea to reject a God who is light and life and love, because when you do that, you end up in darkness and death and discord. And that's where humanity is. Uh, The statistics bear it out. In surveys, you want darkness. In surveys, 75% of us in this country admit that the profile of who we are online is nothing like who we really are. We hide our true self in darkness because we can't bear for that to be brought into the light. Discord, I mean, wonderfully. They, they can tell you when the median moment of the first family argument on Christmas Day is. Extraordinary. 9.58 a.m. if you're interested. The first time parents shout at 
children on an average Christmas day in an average British family, 11.07. And possibly no coincidence, the first alcoholic drink at 11.49. (laughs) Normal families argue five times statistically on Christmas day. I suspect you have to double it if you play Monopoly. But it's... But behind the the amusement of these weird statistics are the reality that we know of real discord on the one day of the year we're meant to be celebrating peace. And of course, the ultimate statistic is death. One out of every one person will die. We do live in a world full of darkness and discord and death. But God is committed to redeeming us and redeeming this world. And the Old Testament of the Bible is the story of uh, God's patient, you could actually say stubborn, commitment in the face of our resistance to bless, to bring us back, to forgive, to restore, to rescue. By this stage in the story, though, as you read through a Bible around three quarters of the way through, by this stage, it looks like it's time for God to give up and start over. But instead, he does something utterly unthinkable, something truly radical, Something that's actually very subversive. You see, humanity seems to be wedded, determined to to wallow in our darkness and decay. And so what does God do? Is he becomes a human. He becomes one of us to save all of us. And so firstly, uh, verses 46 to 49, we see that Jesus brings disruption and delight. 46, and Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. The old Latin name uh, for this poem of praise that Mary sang is the Magnificat. You may have heard the the term. It comes from the the Latin word for glorifies or, or makes great. Literally, she sings, my soul will make God great. Make God great again. Uh, could be the title. Uh, that has all the wrong connotations, doesn't it, these days? Uh, but that's what she's saying. I want to make God great. As in, I want to declare his praises. She's celebrating what the angel told her in the earlier reading that we had, that she will give birth to a son. Now, again, um, I'm not obsessed with celebrities. I have no idea what's on Meghan Markle's Christmas list this year. No idea whatsoever. She got a quite nice ring earlier in the year, so hopefully she's not being too demanding. But I do know one thing that won't be on her Christmas wish list. I'm pretty sure that she will not have on her Christmas wish list a positive pregnancy test. You know, the the royal family's modernizing, but I don't think we're quite ready for a royal wedding to be interrupted by the bride sort of going into labor halfway up the aisle. It's just, it's pretty disruptive for your wedding plans. But it's a whole lot worse for poor Mary. She's pregnant with somebody else's baby. Now that is disruptive. That is catastrophic. God's action is devastatingly disruptive to her life. And yet Mary considers herself blessed. Blessed. And says that the mighty one has done great things for her. She delights in what God has done. And that's because of who the child will be. She's not pregnant because she's been cheating on Joseph. She's pregnant because God's Holy Spirit is enabling her to give birth to God the Son. In human flesh, Jesus Christ. This is the greatest mystery, the greatest miracle of all miracles. Of all the times God breaks into the, the, the natural laws that he set in place, this is the most profound. The uncontainable creator God, immense beyond imagining, 
shrinks himself into a couple of cells in a womb. The unimaginably mighty sovereign Lord becomes almost unbearably fragile and tender. Mary will give birth to a little boy who will be a human baby and yet also God in human flesh. Disruption and delight. That's what happens at the Christmas story. And Jesus does the same today. 2,000 years later, if you put your trust in Jesus Christ, you'll find he brings serious disruption but also great delight. I remember uh, there was a friend of mine at university um, who was massively into sports and massively into being out with the lads. And uh, marriage, he just about managed to keep those, uh, those two habits going. And then he, I remember the day when he told us that uh, they were expecting their first child. And, uh, and one of the guys said, oh, so this is, uh, this is one of the last times. He said, and I'll never forget, he said, uh, he said I don't see why life's got to change just because we're having a baby. I've not seen a whole lot of him since then. It's funny that. <laughs> Babies bring a certain level of disruption. But boy, is he happy about it. Boy, has there been delight. And Jesus brings great disruption and great delight. And he does the same today. 2,000 years later, if you put your trust in Jesus Christ, you'll find he brings enormous disruption to your life. He won't let you carry on the way you are, and yet he will bring unimaginable delight, just as he did to Mary. Disruption and delight. Secondly, uh, Jesus was long promised and yet totally unexpected. Uh, Jump to the end, verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Now, in about 2000 BC, uh, God promised a guy called Abraham that he would have the immense privilege that God would work through his descendants to bring about the reverse of the curse and mess that the world was in. And starting with Abraham, God makes literally dozens and dozens of promises and prophecies about how he'll rescue us, how he'll restore us, how he'll send a mighty king to protect us. Uh, The prophecies tell us that God saved you would be born to a virgin, born in Bethlehem but would live in Galilee in the north, that he would grow up to heal the sick, that he would stun crowds with his teaching, that he would be rejected by the leaders of God's people, that he would be killed as a criminal, that he would be buried in the tomb of a rich man, and that he would rise again to new life. And there were more and more prophecies. Every single one of those predictions was fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ. Every one of them. God never changes And he never fails to deliver on his word. But at the same time, he is full of surprises. And the fulfillment of his promises is unexpected. No one saw it coming. I mean, nobody saw it coming. Jesus looked just so ordinary. He was from a nothing family, nowhere village, just another nobody. And yet, in this ordinary baby, he grew into an ordinary boy. He grew to work as an ordinary carpenter. Here was God's long-promised saviour king. Long-promised and totally unexpected. It's very easy to uh, just to see some things as worthless, just odd. I mean, uh, someone invented a new currency back in 2009, uh, bored writing code and decided to write a new currency. I don't know how you do that. I just thought they'd make one up. They called it Bitcoin. 
in 2010, the first recorded transaction was ever made online with Bitcoin. Um, the uh, uh, software developer Laszlo Handyek bought two Papa John pizzas for 10,000 Bitcoins and thereby confirmed all our stereotypes about the eating habits of techies, which is wonderful. As of today, each of those Bitcoins is worth 12,500 pounds. Oh. So he paid for two pizzas, 120 million pounds. <laughs> That's a good pizza. <laughs> if you'd been there the first Christmas, you'd have seen nothing special. Let's be honest. Like every other newborn, Jesus would have looked a little bit like Winston Churchill. Just nothing, they do, come on. They're nothing, nothing special about him, an ordinary boy. You'd never look at him and think, here's the answer to the world's problems. Here is the most disruptive, delightful figure of all of history. I'm not sure when the Bitcoin bubble will burst. It probably will. But for 2,000 years, Jesus' bubble has never burst. Those who've realized he is worth far more than anybody could have known from looking at the baby find that still today, the ordinary baby of Bethlehem is an unbeatable investment. He still today has the power to forgive sin and wipe away shame. He still today has the power to get you safely through to the other side of death. He still today can share with you eternal life and paradise with God the Father forever after. And God hasn't changed. His character is unchanging. You can rely on him to be what he has said he'll be. He'll always be loving. He will always be just. He will always be holy. He will always be true. He will always be merciful. He will always be mighty. But his ways are always fresh and surprising. It is never dull living with this God as your God. And always, sadly, his Savior Jesus will be ignored and discounted by many. So an engaged girl getting pregnant is good news, a disruption that brings delight, and a saviour promised for 2,000 years is totally unexpected. But then at the heart of the passage, we see that the message of Christmas is not just surprising. It actually turns the world upside down. Verse 50. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich away empty. God exercises his power to bring down the mighty and to lift up the lowly. The rulers are brought crashing down and an orphaned refugee girl is put on the throne to rule the universe. The starving, displaced person is seated at the feast and the wealthy whose fridge is full are sent away starving and hungry and empty. Now, they're just pictures in these verses, but they're pictures of a reality that Jesus would carry out in his adult life. The reliable historical accounts tell us that he spent his time with the prostitutes, with the traitors and with the petty criminals. That was who he hung out with. But he rejected the religious leaders and the self-serving political power. He taught that in his kingdom, many people who were last would be first, And many who in this life were first and number one would be last and excluded. And when Jesus died on the cross as the climax of his earthly mission, it's a death row criminal who finds forgiveness and eternal life. And the religious rulers simply confirm their eternal condemnation. 
But it's not a socialist manifesto. He's not joined momentum. The key issue is what's going on in the heart. Verse 51 gets that. He's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. The issue is not economic wealth and poverty. The issue is the attitudes that so often go with them. Wealth, security, and success often breed in us a sense of pride and entitlement. And so the reversal being spoken of here is not economic, it is moral. See, humanity divides on Jesus. We come to him, and we either come confident that we are good enough, or we despair that we are not good enough. We come asking for mercy and grace, or we come asking for what we deserve. If we come proudly confident, we will be brought low. Uh, my grandfather was in the Navy, and, uh, and at one point he uh, was tasked with organizing a large dinner uh, for naval and civilian um, uh, dinner, and he was in charge of organizing. It was a bit of a big deal because uh, the king was there, and he was pretty stressed about the... You can tell how long ago it was. There was a king, and he, the, uh, he was very stressed, and his commanding officer... Um, brought him in and said, what's the matter? And he said, well, look, I've had all these messages coming in that this person has to sit here and this person says it's really only appropriate for me to be there and I just don't know what I'm supposed to do. And he said, Frank, which was a good grandfather name. Uh, I liked it when people were called Frank back then. He said, Frank, it's a very simple rule. Those who matter don't mind and those who mind, they just don't matter. And it was very, very liberating. And when the day came, there were some people who were very confident of how close they'd be sitting to the king who found themselves very embarrassed by the final seating plan. See, the attitude that comes to God and thinks, I'm good enough, I'm great the way I am morally, is a very, very dangerous attitude. When we stop comparing ourselves with people around us, when we stop feeling good because we're not like the people in the news, and when we look up to God... And when we look in to our own hearts, we realize what a terrible mistake it is, I hope, to approach God as if he owes me. But many of us are deluded, like the great lines of people expecting to walk into the X Factor auditions, confident that the judges will think they're the next best thing. But wonderfully, if we'll come to Jesus aware of our shortcomings and ask for mercy there is a very pleasant surprise in store for us. See, the very reason Jesus came was to die on a cross to pay for the sins of those who are not good enough and know it. It's wonderful. Verse 49 talks of him as a mighty, holy God, God the Father. And then verse 50 says, this God shows mercy. Holiness is about God's moral purity. He's pictured as a fire that burns up anything that's impure or wicked. And so to say a holy God shows mercy is to say, here is a fire that has decided not to burn you. It's an extraordinary thing. Because Jesus on the cross, he was burned up. He was consumed. He took on our darkness. He died our death. And so he gives us his light and life and love. And wonderfully, as you read this passage of Mary's ecstatic joy, we're not eavesdropping on somebody unwrapping their presence. If you put your trust in Jesus, this is your present. He forgives your sins. He comes to live in you by his spirit, just as the Lord Jesus lived in Mary.
Now, I think that that means there is the most wonderful surprise at the heart of Christmas for those of us here who feel far from God. Now, maybe there was a time that uh, you, you sort of walked with God, you, you knew these things. Maybe that there wasn't. But whatever it is, you know that the way you live, the way you think, the way you speak, mean that you are very, very far away from God right now. Look at God's response when humanity turned away from him and ruined the world he made out of love. He came down to us. More than that, he became one of us. He met us where we are. And so no matter how many years you've walked away from God, no matter how many miles you feel like you've walked away from God, because God has come down to us, it is only one step back to him. No matter how far you've gone, it is only ever one step back to God. Come back to him, therefore, this Christmas. Find forgiveness and freedom. Find life and light and hope in Jesus. There is, though, one other surprise. And I guess it's a surprise for, uh, for many of us who think, well, Jesus can be packed away with the Christmas tree come January. There'll be many of us who can't imagine Christmas without Christ. I mean, you know, he's kind of there in the title. Um, but we don't really see much relevance for the rest of life. And we're quite happy with the once or twice a year, the nodding acquaintance thing. But you see, the God who comes to us as a tiny baby at Christmas is far, far, far too big to ever be accommodated with a nodding acquaintance. He comes to turn everything upside down. Nothing in, in the world could seem as unobtrusive and as undisruptive as a small baby born nowhere. But this baby is not a baby you can ignore. I went to uh, the University of Exeter down in the southwest, and there's a, there's a sort of mythical story told about the library. Um, I'm not saying that the library didn't exist, although I, let's say I had a fairly theoretical knowledge of it in the first year. But the, uh, the library was um, supposedly designed by uh, an ex-student who'd done a wonderful job designing this library on the side of uh, the quite steep hill that the campus was built on. But they made one small mistake, apparently, um, in designing the library and uh, working out the engineering of it, they'd failed to account for the weight of a book, which, you know, books aren't very big. But the problem is a library tends to have a lot of books, uh, not just one book, but millions of them. And the weight of millions of books has a fairly profound effect on something on a hill when you stick gravity into the equation, and the library is slipping down the hill, apparently, which is rather unfortunate, uh, especially for the architecture department at the university. But there we go. You see, Jesus is very easy to ignore. He's just a religious person. He's just a little baby. But he's not just one little baby. He is also God. He is infinitely great. He is infinitely awesome. And he has had a greater impact on human history than any other person who ever drew breath. This is not someone you can ignore. This is not someone you can tip your cap to at Christmas and ignore for the rest of the year. The scale of his being, the scale of his impact on the world demands your attention and your response. And I would encourage you to look at him as an adult to read one of the reliable eyewitness accounts of his life, one of the four Gospels, and come to terms with the man who claims to be God. Wonderfully, although he comes as too big to ignore, although he comes to disrupt everything, 
He comes to bring delight. He comes to fulfill God's promises. And he comes to bring those of us who know we're not good enough forgiveness and life and a relationship with God. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for, uh, for Mary's song. We thank you for her experience of your goodness. Our Father, we pray that you would help us this Christmas to look at the Lord Jesus and to see who he really is, to see much more than just the baby, to see the man who died on the cross, to see God in human flesh, to see the one who is both promised and unexpected, the one who brings great disruption and yet deep delight, and the one who will turn the world upside down and bring those of us who recognize we're not right into relationship with you. Help us, we pray, to turn to him, to find his life and his light and his love, and so to know you as the God who brings great joy. Amen.